0: Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 138 called Ashley G. Infertile AF is supported by First Republic Bank. With a best-in-class banking app that allows you to bank anywhere, anytime, and a dedicated personal banker when you need one-on-one service, First Republic is uniquely positioned to offer the best of both worlds. With this combination of personal attention and convenience, it's no wonder that First Republic Bank has a client satisfaction rating two times the industry average. So whether you're opening a personal line of credit or planning for your retirement, you can count on First Republic to be there for you every step of the way. Visit firstrepublic.com today to learn more. That's firstrepublic.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender today's episode is brought to you by Belly, prenatal vitamins that help get your body the healthiest it can be to welcome a new little life. Belly's vitamins are formulated to optimize fertility and prenatal health for men and women through all stages of pregnancy, from conception through to post-pregnancy. Belly's revolutionary science-based formulation fuels your fertility to help support egg quality, promote hormonal balance, and increase your overall fertility health. Belly for men prenatals are specially formulated with clinically proven nutrients optimized to help increase sperm count, help improve sperm morphology and motility, and boost overall fertility. To get started with belly, go to bellybaby.com and use code ALI15 for 15% off your first month of either belly women or belly men. Again, it's bellybaby, B-E-L-I-B-A-B-Y.com and use code ALI15, A-L-I-15, for 15% off. Thanks, belly. All right, guys. So I can't wait for you to hear this episode today with Ashley. We're going to talk a lot about surrogacy. So she has been a surrogate to three babies. She also has three kids of her own, and she's going to talk about Nessa, which is the agency that she works for. That's run by people with a lot of personal experience helping intended parents create the families of their dreams. So she's going to tell us what it's really like to be a surrogate. Why does somebody choose to do it? What are the logistics and where does one even begin? She's also going to answer some frequently asked questions about surrogacy. Some of them are really interesting, some questions that she gets. So stay tuned for that. She's going to also talk about the difference between being a surrogate for a same-sex couple and a quote unquote traditional couple that has gone through infertility. So, just the different emotions that are involved there. So, super interesting. Can't wait for you guys to hear it. And without further ado, this is Ashley's infertility story. <laughs> Hey, Ashley, it's so good to talk to you. Thank you so much for doing this today. We're super excited to talk about your story.
1: Oh, well, thank you for having me. I absolutely love talking about surrogacy and my journey and um, it's an honor to be able to share it. So thank you so much for having me on.
0: Of course. I know that you are the face of Nappy Endings US, which we will talk about more exactly what that is. But you know, you've been a surrogate to three babies. So let's talk about that when you started your own surrogacy journey and why you wanted to do it in the first place.
1: Oh, sure. So when I was pregnant with our second kiddo, so our middle son, I had a friend who was actually pregnant at the very same time as me. And I didn't know she was a surrogate until later on in the pregnancy. And I was kind of following her story and chatting with her about it. And for me, it was just when I found out it was a surrogacy pregnancy, I was like, oh, my God, that is absolutely incredible. You know, how how's it going? How does it work? I I just had so many questions for her. And I loved just seeing that, I guess, her emotional side to it as well, because I never actually got to meet her set of parents, which is pretty typical for friends of surrogates, but I got to see her journey through it. And it was something that was always been on my heart since then. And I would say, oh gosh, that was nine years ago, but it's always recommended in surrogacy to be done with your own biological family before you attempt to do a surrogacy. And I knew that we personally weren't done having kiddos. So it's kind of something that I put on the back burner for a while. And after our last kiddo was born, so I have three kids, And after he was born, it was something that I came back to, but again, I wanted to wait a little bit because I wanted to make sure he was semi Mm -hmm. self-sufficient before I went on a journey because I knew it would take a lot of my time and energy and I didn't want to have to be, you know, burping babies and bottle feeding and changing diapers. And (laughs) I wanted at least a potty trained kiddo before I went on that journey.
0: Right. Absolutely. So do you just love being pregnant?
1: Um, it's so funny that you asked that because my first two pregnancies is pretty typical. My last one, I was sick all the time, all uh-huh. the time. Like after I had my third kiddo, I was 13 pounds lighter than I was even when I started when I got pregnant with him wow. and I didn't have hyperemesis, but it, I came to realize that apparently I'm allergic to peanut butter <laughs> and that's what I would eat when I was pregnant with my third kiddo. Cause I was like, okay, it gives me a little bit of protein, some sugar, you know, some carbohydrates. And it didn't dawn on me until after I had him that it was the peanut butter the whole time that had been making me sick.
0: Oh, wow. Were you eating a lot of peanut butter?
1: I was like, well, you know, like, like I said, it was like a quick, healthy, like healthy snack that I thought of like good carbohydrates, some protein, some fats. I'm pregnant. I can't keep anything down. So we're going to try to, you know, Mm -hmm. the biggest bang for your buck almost and, I had him and they brought me peanut butter toast after I had him. And I threw up almost immediately after eating that. And it was like this realization, like it was the peanut butter this whole time. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, after I realized that it wasn't anything like pregnancy related, I was like, okay, I can be pregnant again, as long as I don't eat peanut butter.
0: (laughs) Okay. All right, good. So when your third kid was finally potty trained and self-sufficient, like you said, did then did you explore becoming a surrogate and, and what does that look like? Like, how do you even know where to start with that?
1: So we did, we kind of circled back to it. I was, our youngest was goodness. He was four when I actually did my surrogacy journey, like Mm -hmm. got, and I, Oh my gosh, got implanted, I guess transfer occurred. He was four. So he was three when we kind of circled back to it. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to my husband and it's one of those, you don't just jump in, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot Of research that I always suggest doing before you go into this process. Mm -hmm. Um, So both my husband and I, we had several conversations about it for almost six months. I mean, it was just conversation, research, conversation, research. What if this happens? What if that happens? Mm -hmm. And then we finally got to the point where we're like, okay, let's do it. And that's when I started researching agencies because as a first time surrogate, I had no idea what I was doing.
0: (laughs) Right. And you are in Iowa, right? Were you in Iowa at the time?
1: Yep. I'm in Iowa. Okay. I was, I'm so always- surrogacy
0: is legal there and all that?
1: Um, It is. Okay. It's just a little bit more difficult for parents to get parentage in Iowa than it is in Illinois.
0: Okay. What so, does that mean?
1: Um, parentage. So even though the babies are not genetically related to my husband or I in Iowa, that if you were to have a baby, they don't have pre-birth orders. So like my husband and I would have gone on the birth certificate and then the parents would have had to adopt the baby from us. Mm even though it was not our baby, it's the parents' baby. So in Illinois, it's easier because we can do pre-birth orders. Basically it's statements from like my OB and the fertility doctor and our attorneys and things like that. This state, this baby is the parent's baby. It's not Ashley and her husband's and they can go on the birth certificate immediately upon birth, as opposed to me and my husband. And then that whole process.
0: Okay. So obviously that's preferable, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So, and you said,
0: you're on the border of Iowa and Illinois. So does that mean you have to do all the procedures in Illinois or your agency is in Illinois or like what's the the logistics of that?
1: So the logistics, your agency can be anywhere in the U.S. because you rarely ever, I would say never travel to your actual like brick and mortar agency building. Got it. So you can pretty much do any agency, but I chose to deliver in Illinois. My OB was in Illinois. Anything that was related to my pregnancy outside of like general practitioners, like my family doctor, if I had to go for anything like that, um, anything pregnancy related, I did over in Illinois. And I always joked too, with because my first pregnancy was twins. And I always said, I don't care how it's going to happen, but these babies will be born in Illinois, even if they come early, like we're driving over the bridge to Illinois,
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> <If they're> birth <laughs> in an ambulance in Illinois, it's going to be in Illinois.
0: <laughs> exactly. How far away are you exactly? Is it like um, a bridge length?
1: like three minutes.
0: Oh, wow. Okay, cool.
1: Just down the block and across the bridge.
0: So interesting.
1: Yes. Yep. So that has always been kind of like the running joke. Like it doesn't matter. They will be born in Illinois. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So that's kind of like the logistics of everything pregnancy related was Illinois. Like even with twins, you're always considered high risk. So I went and seen like um, a maternal fetal medicine doctor in Illinois. My regular OB is in Illinois. My Mm -hmm. delivering hospital is in Illinois. So it's just everything was Illinois all around. And it was like I said, super simple for me just because it's right across the river.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. So tell me about when you explored, you just finally decided to do it. Was your husband on board the whole time or did you have to kind of convince him or did he have any reservations? Cause you know, obviously being pregnant, no matter who you are, there's always a risk, right? You know, Mm -hmm. you're putting your body at risk. You're putting your health at risk. So what were his thoughts about
1: it? You know, it, he never was on board, like immediately it was, we have to talk about it. And I think that that was good for us because we explored all the risks that are involved because there's even more risks with IVF as opposed to just a traditional pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course he was concerned, you know, how is this going to affect you know our kids? How is this going to affect our home life? How is this going to affect you, your body, uh, your health? All of those things were questions that we explored before we even went to an agency route. Mm -hmm. And then when we researched agencies, I found one that I was, um, I I applied to just one agency and it was out of Chicago. And now they're all, they have like four different locations in the U S they grew exponentially since I got with them in 2018. But, um, so we applied through them and then they reached out to us. We had an like intake phone call and that's one of the questions I ask you is your spouse or partner supportive of this because you should not be going on this journey if they're not, because they're going to be, they're going to be there for everything. Obviously they're with you every day, day in and day out. Right. Um, so they have to be supportive. And when we had our intake, that was a question that was asked and, and then they, they request your records, uh, for your pregnancies and um, you just go through all the intake process. And my first journey, I always say was kind of like a miracle unicorn journey because I signed with the agency in April. I matched with my parents in May. We had med clearance in July, legal clearance in August, and I transferred in October.
0: Oh my gosh. Boom, boom, and boom, you know, boom, boom.
1: It was just like, boom, boom, boom. That's everything. amazing. It just lined up perfectly, mm-hmm. um, and we did a double embryo transfer. Both the little girls stuck, and you know I had the babies in May of 2019. So, so first like,
0: retrieval, first transfer, all that.
1: Um, they had donor. It was a gay set of intended parents. Okay. So they had donor eggs, and they already had embryos created before oh, they, they did, did. Match
0: with me. Yep. Interesting. Okay, got it. Yep,
1: and then so you know we had two embryos that were transferred in October, October 18th. And like I said, they both stuck and it was just, it was absolutely easy pregnancy. I didn't, I had a little bit of morning sickness, but nothing like my third because I didn't eat peanut butter Mm -hmm. and and yeah, it just went really, really, really well, really smoothly. Uh, I delivered, um, Like I said, I delivered at the end of May in 2019. So the girls are almost two and a half years old. They're Mm -hmm. gorgeous. I still am in touch with the dads. They send me pictures of the girls. You know, it's just.
0: Is it important for you to have a relationship with the families that you're working with?
1: um, Yeah, I like to. I mean, it's such an intimate journey that you're going on with these parents. I mean, you're having, (laughs) you're having their baby. I mean, right. I always joke the first time I met the dad I was like, it's like a first date, but I'm already pregnant with their, their daughters.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're like, can I get dinner first? At least
1: I feel like this is so awkward. Like, Hey, this is the first time you're meeting me in person, but I'm already pregnant. Wow.
0: That is (laughs) so wild and cool.
1: It was, it was just, um, it was just wonderful. And I, I love watching the babies that I had. I love watching them grow up. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love seeing them surrounded by these, this family of love. And like, it's just these, these children are so wanted and so loved. And I love seeing that for them. And I love the idea. I use the word love a lot. Sorry.
0: No, I love it.
1: <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just, I, it's such an incredible feeling to know that there are three tiny souls in this, in this world that are, you know, they're here because of me and I love making families. And that's why I continued after my second journey that I actually just delivered in March of this year. hmm I I went with Nessa because I was like, I want to keep doing this, you know, Mm -hmm. I want to keep making families. I want to keep helping dreams come true. This is just my passion. It's my love. I just want to do it. Mm -hmm. And um, as a surrogate, I say you can only help one family at a time. But with me at the agency doing what I do, I can help multiple families at one time. It's not just the one that I'm caring for, which is just incredible. It's an incredible feeling to know that you can do these things for people.
0: Right. So, helping in what ways?
1: So nobody comes to surrogacy as their first choice Mm -hmm. ever, Mm -hmm. unless it's you know gay intended parents who are like males who are you know this is the only way that they're going to have biological children. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so, when you're talking about the traditional couples, they don't come to surrogacy because they don't want to have their own children. It's often a road of heartache and heartbreak, and seeing that their story after story. And it's just, it's heart wrenching. And if I can, you know, help them find their surrogate, screen their surrogate, you know, at the end of the day, if their, their surrogate gets pregnant and then they have their baby in their arms, it's like, you know, I was, a, I was kind of, I was, I was a part of that. I helped that process along. Right. And, you know, that's what I love knowing is We sign parents and we go on journeys with them. It's not just the parents or the paychecks and we kind of are hands off. Like I am emotionally invested in these journeys that that I help facilitate. I mean, I'm constantly talking to surrogates. I'm talking to parents. I'm like, hey, how's it going? Is there anything I can help you with? I mean, cause we do a lot of communications with fertility clinics and we do travel arrangements and we do all the screenings of our surrogates. We do screenings of the parents, you know, we make sure that the matches are going well, that the surrogate and the parents are going to get along. Okay. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's a lot to do, but it's something that I absolutely love to do.
0: Yeah. I feel like your passion for it is like palpable. Can we backtrack a little bit to when you were pregnant with the twins, Tell me a little bit more about that. And I would love to like dispel some myths that people might have about surrogacy. Like I'm sure there's common things that people ask you about and things that people think, you know, I've interviewed surrogates before. And one of them, I remember her telling me like, you know, people are like, how could you give your baby away? And she's like, yeah. it's not my baby. It was never my baby. I don't want this baby. <laughs> so I'm get, It's for this, this family. Like I'm doing yeah. this for the family. So." talk to me, please, a little bit about that piece of it.
1: Um, I get that question as well. When I talk to people about being a surrogate, they're like, I don't know if I could give up the baby. And for me, I always explain, it's a whole different mindset. You go into surrogacy, one, knowing this isn't your baby. You know, you didn't get pregnant the old fashioned way. You got Mm -hmm. pregnant. It's a very sterile clinical procedure. You go into a clinic, a doctor, you know, inserts a catheter and puts the embryo inside of you. It's not, it's definitely not the traditional way of getting pregnant. So anytime I talk to anybody, I'm like, it's like a, it's like a switch that kind of flips like this isn't my baby. I'm just pregnant. I'm this baby is going to an absolutely loving family who has waited probably so long to have this child. And it's just, it's so easy for me to say, it's not my baby. Like, they're like, how can you give up the baby? Well, it's not mine to give up. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. I'm simply keeping this baby safe and growing it for it's, I call it extended babysitting. Like, <laughs> you take in a child if you're babysitting, knowing that you're going to give that child back because it's not yours. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of the same way I take in this embryo, I create a child, and it goes home with its parents which is very preferable for me because I am 100% done having my own children. Like the thought of having a newborn in my house just is like, yuck. I don't want any more babies. (laughs) Right. I get it. My youngest is seven and I'm like, that is fine. I don't want diapers. I don't want to be up every two hours. Totally. Don't want to do it.
0: Okay. Um, So how was the actual giving birth process and just that moment when, you know, you had the babies and then these two incredible people who've been wanting babies for so long finally got to hold them in their arms. Tell me about that moment.
1: Oh my God. I always say there are not enough words in the English language to properly describe that moment when the parents see their babies for the first time. There's just not, I can use all of these big adjectives. It's incredible. It's awe-inspiring. It's so magical. I can use all these. It just doesn't, it doesn't seem to describe it properly. Mm-hmm. When I had the twins, we had to deliver in the OR. So this was pre-pandemic, so we got to do this. But I always joke that we had a whole entourage because I mean, we had two dads there. I hired a birth photographer to capture all of this mm-hmm. um, for the dads, and she's actually a really good friend of mine. So in this little mm-hmm. OR, we have two dads, myself, my husband, the birth photographer, the entire NICU team, my my OB nurse, and my doctor and an extra doctor, like all in this. <laughs>
0: Wow. So this is pre-COVID times.
1: <laughs> it was definitely pre-COVID times. And I, I always joke, I was like, I had like this whole entourage. Totally. And then my other joke is there is literally a video of my vagina somewhere in Spain. Uh, that's where the dads are from. Because mm-hmm. I was pushing and I look up and there's a there's one dad holding up a phone recording the birth. And I was just like, <laughs> that's awesome.
0: That's great. And- you're like, do I get to sign like a release at least <laughs> that you're going right. to have that?
1: Yeah, it was so, it's just one of those things that when you match with parents, it's kind of one of those questions. How comfortable are you with the parents taking pictures during the birth? Are you okay with videos? Do you want them at appointments? Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, I was just like, this is, I'm literally just growing this baby. This is their journey. This is their journey to parenthood, whatever they want. I'm fine with, I've had three babies of my own. There's no privacy. So, right. You know, this is, if that's what they, if they want to literally watch their babies enter the world, that's how they have to do it. So I had the twins vaginally. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. When my water broke with uh, baby A, I went into the hospital and um, I was only 34 weeks and so my OB was immediately, we're doing a C-section. I was like, the frick we are. No, mm-hmm. we're not. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's talk about this a little bit. And I was like, you told me if they are both head down, we're trying vaginally and they're both head down. So.
0: <laughs> and your, all your other babies were vaginal as well. Yeah. I've okay. never had
1: a C-section. Yeah. Wow. And uh, I was totally prepared to fire my OB right then and there. Cause I was like, no, we are mm-hmm. trying this. This is not happening. <laughs> hmm so you can't spring this on a 34 week pregnant woman with her water broken that you're having a c-section. No,
0: no, no. Right, no, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh my um, gosh, so, that's so yeah. cool. Okay, so it, you have the babies with your whole entourage in tow. Oh yes. And then emotionally, like what was it like for you?
1: Uh it was fine. I would I would say it was just like having my babies. The emotional roller coaster was still there. You, you have your hormones. Um, but it wasn't like I missed the babies. It was just my estrogen and progesterone plummeted. You know, that's, Mm -hmm. I understand the chemical reactions there. And, but even right after having them and seeing they were in the NICU, because like I said, they were born at 34 weeks. So they were in the NICU and I got to go see them, you know, they were in the same hospital as I was. And so I got to go visit them. I got to spend time with the dads. My, my kids came up and visited the babies. And the dads, my husband came up and visited the babies and the dads. It was just kind of like an extended family, you know, like these are the babies mommy had in her tummy, and now they're going home with the dads. Mm -hmm. So it was just, I felt like even a couple of days later, like I didn't even feel like I had just given birth because I think it was all the sleep I was getting at that point because I don't have newborns to take care of. (laughs) Right. And I'm not pregnant anymore. So I'm comfortable. And I felt wonderful. So much so that like three weeks later, I'm like, I want to do this again. And I reapply to the agency and I'm like, when can we do this again? (laughs)
0: Wow. So how did you explain it to your little ones at home?
1: Uh, We've always been very open and honest with our kids. I'm very scientific. Like we use scientific names for all of our body parts, internal organs, everything. Um, And so basically I just said, mommy is growing babies. For dads, these are not our babies. Mm-hmm. Um, You know that babies can't just happen. Women have to grow them, Um, so that's what I'm doing. I am just growing babies for somebody else. Wow! And when I was pregnant, the dads actually came to visit us, and my kids love them. Mm-hmm. Love, like they still talk about them to this day. When are we going to go see the dads? When are we going to go see the twins? And oh, that's so cool. I know, and I was like, "Well, if COVID would ever calm down and Spain opens its borders, we can go." But <laughs> right you know, like right now it's just not plausible.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Okay.
1: Yeah. They've always been from day one. It was mom's going to have somebody else's babies. These are not our babies. And they just were like, okay. You know? So like I said, my youngest was four when we did transfer and my Mm -hmm. oldest was eight. Okay. So they all, sorry, flipping my nose there. They all That's understood that this was a process, you know, that was never a question of, are we keeping the babies? However, I've been asked several times now for a younger sibling <laughs> by my youngest one. Oh really? Uh, yes, and I was like, no, 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 we are done. <laughs>
0: yeah. Would it be, could you even do that? I mean, now that you've gone down the surrogacy route, cause you're supposed to be finished with your own babies, right? Like, would you get in trouble if you like had your own after?
1: No, no, no. Uh, They recommend being done because of secondary infertility. Gotcha. So um, some of the hormones and medications you take can actually affect your fertility, um, Mm. your personal fertility. Got it. So it would be... It sometimes is difficult to conceive naturally after being a surrogate. So that's why they always say be done Wonderful. Um, because okay. there are some surrogates that have been surrogates and then they come back as intended parents because they want more babies and they can't.
0: Got it. So, okay. So you can have them, but it's just the fertility factor. That's right. so interesting. Okay. So to. tell me, can you tell me about your second, your second journey then?
1: Sure. Um, So that one was, like I said, I was just a couple of weeks postpartum with the twins and I reapplied to the agency and I was like, I want to do it again. (laughs) So how do we do this again? And so I reapplied and at that time it was 2019. So it was like three months before COVID in China. And so nobody knew anything at that point in time. And I applied and I met these parents and we had our uh, match meeting in November and then it was like boom COVID and so for us it was uh, it slowed things down to the point where I had my medical clearance in July or January
0: mm-hmm.
1: which was quick because I was expecting a couple more months um, because in January I was just what's seven months postpartum mm-hmm. from the twins. And I was like, Oh, that's fast. Right. That <laughs> um, <laughs> was real fast. And so we went and they wanted to do what was called a mock cycle. So they wanted to kind of do the medications to see how my uterine lining would respond because it was a different med protocol than my first, prim- my first journey. So I kind of, I started taking like estrogen and progesterone and things like that just to, to grow a lining. So you have to grow your uterine lining to a specific thickness that they like to see before they'll transfer an embryo Mm -hmm. and my lining got just shy of what they were looking for. Um, so then I had to do another one. So, Mm -hmm. and this is all during COVID. So I'm like, okay, how am I going to, you know, get these appointments for my ultrasounds and my lab work and things like that. Uh, and it was actually not too difficult until the very last one where my imaging center closed down. So then I had to go to the hospital to get the, the final ultrasound, but, um, I finally passed medical clearance in, I think it was April, Uh April of 2020. So we are just, you know, right there in COVID territory and we waited, we waited a while. I mean, cause we were just like, how is this going to affect everything? Is the IVF clinic even doing transfers right now? It was just sit and wait. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I can do that. And my kids were out of school. And so I was just home with my kiddos and I wasn't working at the time because I was working as a mental health uh, case manager. And mm-hmm. I, I couldn't work because I was like, we can't go into people's homes. How are we doing this? So I was just home and then we did contracts and contracts took a while, but we finally transferred at the end of July of 2020. Mm -hmm. So that one was a lot longer. I would say, you know, like I said, I reapplied, I would say in June 19, and I didn't even transfer for another year later.
0: Okay. Got it. Was it the same deal? They had embryos?
1: Yeah. They had already had embryos made. Um, This was a traditional couple. So it was a male and female and they um, had reoccurring losses.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And their most recent one was a stillborn at 20 weeks. So oh, I so I was sad. just like I can't even imagine that. Um mm-hmm. and I always contrast the difference between my gay dads and a traditional couple. Like <laughs> the gay dads excited about everything. Mm-hmm. So excited about everything. But that's because they've never had a loss. They've mm-hmm. never lost a child like our the parents that I had this time, right? Um, so my parents for the second journey were very reserved and they were scared, and you could oh, tell yeah. that they were scared. And so for me, it was kind of it was totally different. Like I felt like I was supporting the parents more in this second one. Um, as it's going to be okay. This is what I do, this is what my body does. You're taking a right. your baby home, like this is it's going to be okay.
0: Did you feel more pressure too, though? Like after having, you know, we deal with a fertility rally and on my podcast, you know, we have a lot of members who've had recurrent pregnancy loss, including Mm -hmm. myself. And even when you get pregnant, you know, after loss, we talk a lot about the anxiety. So I'm sure they had so much anxiety. So did you feel that? Did you internalize that at all?
1: As a surrogate, you feel pressure no matter what. Um, It's not a pressure that anybody puts on you on the outside. It's like this internal pressure where you're like, This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Like I've told these parents that I'm going to give them a baby. Mm -hmm. Um, so for me, it's just this internal, I want to do well for these people. I want to give them their dream. Like this is their dream. Right. And for like the second one, so my second journey was far more difficult than my first with the twins. I always joke that I should have had twins the second time as well, just because. So the traditional couple, the mom and the dad were the actual biological parents of the embryo mm-hmm. and mom was in her late thirties when she created the embryo. So we're talking older eggs. Mm-hmm. And, um, so it created more issues with the pregnancy. Like I had an elevated AFP during my first trimester screening. So I'm freaking out like, oh my God, they've waited so long for this baby. And now there's going to be a problem.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Um Absolutely. And- It it came back as nothing, thankfully, because then we had, you know, that really, really in-depth level two ultrasound and there was no spinal bipeda, there was no defects that, that were found on the ultrasound, but I was, I was, I would say I was emotional when we, that test came back and I was like, I know this isn't my baby, but I feel just as responsible for getting her here safely.
0: Absolutely. That makes sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I just broke down and I was like, this is not happening. This is not going to happen for these parents. This is not happening. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. no, universe, we need to have a talk because this baby is going to get here safely and healthy. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, thankfully she was fine. Um, we knew we were having a girl. Mm-hmm. So we always knew the sexes of the embryos before they were transferred. Mm-hmm. So there was never like a 20-week, oh, we're having a girl ultrasound. We always knew. Wow. And um I was, that's, that was just super scary for me. And, um, I, even though we worked as an agency, this is kind of what brought me to NASA. I had to deliver that news, um, to the parents. Cause at first I reached out to my case manager. I'm like, okay, so this is this test that came back and there's a problem. Are you going to tell the parents? And she's like, well, if you feel comfortable, go ahead. And I was like, um,
0: <laughs> yeah, I feel
1: like, I feel like that's your job. Right.
0: You're like, um, hmm. let's think about this for a minute.
1: right? Uh, So obviously I did, you know, we were on WhatsApp and I, you know, messaged them and I was like, Hey, this test came back. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean anything. It's just a screening test. You know, we won't have actual results until we do the ultrasound. And at that point, moms, you know, her anxiety level is to the roof. She's like, "Oh my god, here we go again! Like, this is not what's supposed to happen."
0: Mm-hmm. And as a
1: matter of fact, um, I had already had my level two ultrasound scheduled at the maternal fetal medicine clinic because high risk IVF pregnancy, any mm-hmm. any IVF pregnancy is considered high risk. So you're followed by your regular OB and your high risk doctor. And I actually called them and I was like, listen, we just got our AFP results back. They're elevated. Um, we need a sooner ultrasound. Like mm-hmm. we can't wait three, four weeks. We want it tomorrow. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, so they got me in the following week, which was a blessing. Um, and then we found out that she was fine. And that's when I also found I had started spotting and I was like, now what is going on? <laughs> and, oh my gosh. And I had an SCH and Like I was, I've never had one of those before. So anytime you're bleeding in pregnancy, you're like, oh shoot. I used other words, but I was like, (laughs) what's going on? Like, like I said, it was just so different than any of my pregnancies and the twins. It was just like one thing after the other, after the other. And, um, I was like, no, we're not doing this either. What's going on. Uh And that's when we found out I had a really large SCH. It was, um, I think it was eight eight. Like it was pretty large.
0: So SCH stands for
1: subcorionic hematoma.
0: Sub-chor- I was like, I know it's sub yep. hematoma, but subcorionic hematoma. Yep. Yep.
1: So pretty normal in IVF pregnancies, yep. either, but yes, um, it is.
0: Oh, I mean, so many of our members who've become pregnant have them and it's scary as shit.
1: It is. It's so, so scary. Yep. Um, so I called my OB and I'm like, Hey, I'm spotting what's going on. So that's when we find out I had the SCH and then they sent me back to the high risk doctor. The hospital that I had to go to for the high risk is actually like an hour and a half away. (laughs) Mm. So I went there and they're like, well, it's an SCH, you know, um, monitor what's going on. And if there's any changes, let us know. And I was like, okay, so it's like, it's, I was spotting and bleeding and then it stopped for a whole week. And I was like, yay, we're done. Mm -hmm. And then it started again.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I was like, son of a bitch, like, Mm -hmm. what is this? And at that point in time, my, my OB was like, nope. You're bleeding, you're right at that cusp of viability. Cause I was like, I think I was like 24 weeks. Mm-hmm. And she's like, You're going to the you're going to the hospital. Mm. So I rode in the ambulance from my OB's office for an hour and a half to the high-risk hospital. That was the most uncomfortable ride ever. Mm, I bet <laughs> you're in that bed and you're strapped down. So you can't even like move to get comfortable. And I'm 24 weeks pregnant. So I'm like, this is terrible. Yes. <laughs> and so I get there. And yeah, it was a very large SCH that literally was right at the top of my cervix.
0: Okay. So
1: anytime the baby moved or kicked or anything like bleeding, because like she would kick the SCH and I would bleed and bleed. And, um, it was scary. So did
0: they want you to stay in the hospital?
1: Um, I stayed there for two days and then finally the doctor came in and they're like, it's an SCH. There's no, there's no risk to you or the baby. Mm-hmm. honestly. He's like, so unless something changes, you're getting more bleeding, bright red bleeding, cramping, anything like that, then come see us again. But for now, there's no reason to keep you. Okay. And so I was like, okay. And then not even a week later, I passed that SCH and I have never seen such a big blood clot in my life. Oh, wow. Like I could feel, Feel it. It's so weird having that feeling coming, like coming out of you. And I was like, "What is that?"
0: Again, so scary. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, exactly. And um, and then my bleeding stopped because uh-huh. there it was. It was gone. And I was like, "Oh, you were the cause of all my problems this whole entire time."
0: It was the peanut butter of that pregnancy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it
1: was like, "There's my peanut butter." Yeah. Um, and the other thing is, is like with this pregnancy, they told me I had an accessory lug to my placenta. So I had my normal placenta and then for some reason I grew this other little lobe of a placenta, um, that literally sat right at the lip of my cervix as well. Mm. Um, and that's where the SCH had come from was right at the lip of my cervix, right under that part of the placenta. And I was like, this pregnancy is crazy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So many things. It's like a
0: a bonus placenta.
1: I, it's almost felt like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, so what else, what else is going to (laughs) happen? Right. I feel like we're hitting all the things. Um, and then I went in for a gestational diabetes test and thankfully that came back normal. And I was like, hallelujah.
0: Yeah. Something, some good news. Something
1: went Right. Exactly. And then um, like at the end of my pregnancy with her, my blood pressure was slightly elevated. And I'm like, well, of course it is like everything is going wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then they sent me for a 24 hour urine capture to make sure there's no protein in my urine. And I was like, oh my God.
0: <laughs> right. Right. But, the, okay. So then when it was time to finally give birth again, natural birth,
1: Yeah, uh, were you, birth. how
0: many weeks along?
1: Um, 37 weeks wow. on the dots. Okay.
0: Okay. And I then have, how was, how was that process with this, this couple, which again, you know, like we talked about before, it's such a different emotional roller coaster that they've been through.
1: So I was dilating a little bit, um, before my due date, I would say two weeks before my due date, I was probably dilated to a three and they live in, um, All the way on the East coast. And so when I told them that I was dilating, they're like, do we need to come now? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, no, but, uh, they hadn't even made their travel arrangements yet. Like I said, it was so different because for me, um, I've never gone past 38 weeks in my pregnancy. So I'm telling the parents be here by 36 weeks because you don't know Mm -hmm. when they're going to, when the baby's coming. And they're like, well, you know, if we get to that point and this was probably like 32 weeks, I'm like, no, we're getting to that point. Like you need to make travel arrangements. You, you get here. (laughs) Wow. Like I said, it was so different for them because they, because of COVID, um, we didn't get to FaceTime during any appointments. We didn't, they didn't get to come to any appointments. So they only got pictures or videos. Like we didn't hardly even speak like video speak except for a match call. It was all over WhatsApp. It was all texting. Mm-hmm. Um, so for that, I don't think it was like a concrete idea that they're having a baby
0: mm-hmm. because okay. I didn't
1: see it. And I saw it every day where I'm like, you're having a baby <laughs> that's is right. happening. And then finally there, when I was dilating, like, Oh God, do we need to come now? And I was like, well, you could probably come soon, but it's not something you need to drive right now. It's that it's a 17 hour drive. You don't need to leave tomorrow. So they came at 35 weeks Uh and so they were here. And, um, the first time mom actually got to go to an appointment with me, I think it hit her that like, here we are 36 weeks. I'm taking a baby home in a week. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Just her face where she was just like, oh my God, this is right. Right. This is is what we've been wanting. This is, this is real. This is happening. It was for her. I think it was just one of those. Oh shit. (laughs)
0: Yeah. I wonder if it was a little bit of a protective, like a self-protective thing too, to not get super invested with you and just kind of have it happening along the side. You know what I mean? Um,
1: Yeah. I think it was, it was like a self-preservation thing where they've already had their hopes broken and our heart broken so many times. Yeah, exactly. We're not excited until she's here Yeah, type of a thing. And um so gosh, that was just seeing her. She only got to go to one appointment because um when they came in, they were working still from their hotel room. And so she made it to one appointment. I think it was a uh, Wednesday, I was doing um NSTs twice a week because my doctor for IVF pregnancies does um the high risk protocol. Mm-hmm. So we were doing twice a week NSTs. So she got to go to one, I think it was a Friday. She missed the following Tuesdays one, and then that following Friday I had the baby. So that Friday morning I woke up and I was like, well, it was actually Thursday night. I'm like, I'm having contractions. I'm having some spotting. I'm pretty sure I lost some of my mucus plug. Like I know what I'm doing. probably going to have a baby here shortly. Uh, so I went in for my NST appointment and I was like, listen, I'm having all these symptoms. And they're like, well, let's get you checked before we even hook you up to the NST. And so the nurse practitioner came in, she checked me the rest of my mucus plug and my bloody show came out on her fingers. And she's like, yep, you're having a baby. And I was like, yeah, I know.
0: Look at you, you're such an expert at this. You're like my NST, my bloody show, like all these terms, like <laughs> you've done this. This is not your first rodeo. Right? This is
1: not, this absolutely is not. And, uh, she's like, so I'm just going to send you over to the hospital. And I was like, son of a bitch. I haven't even eaten yet. This is not okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> Cause I know as soon as I get there, you're not going to let me eat. <laughs> Mm-hmm.
0: exactly. And,
1: but the problem was like, the hospital is literally right across the road from my OB's office. And I'm like, I don't even have time to like, stop and get something. I was like, no, right. Right. Oh my God. I gosh. was so unprepared. Like I knew I was having a baby, but I didn't know it was going to be like, you're going to the hospital right now type of have a baby. Right. So I didn't even bring my hospital bag, And I was like, Oh my
0: God.
1: Yes. <laughs> for somebody who's a professional, you think I would have been more prepared,
0: but right. But everything went well. Yeah. And then the baby was healthy and all that.
1: She was gorgeous. Oh, Um, so my doctor, (laughs) I went over to the hospital. I'm waiting at triage to get checked in. I didn't even have to go to like triage and stuff. They're like, you're just direct to admit you're having a baby. I was like, okay. Um, So I'm waiting for them to kind of like get all my information. And my doctor comes walking down the hall and I'm like, Hey, Dr. May. And she's like, what are you doing here? And I was like, I'm having a baby today. And she's like, are we really? Oh my gosh. (laughs) You're like a regular. Yeah, because she was going to surgery. So she wasn't even at the office when I seen the nurse practitioner. And she's like, okay, well, I'll see you in a little bit. And I was like, yep, see you you in a little bit. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So yeah, I mean, it went like I probably around one o'clock, I got admitted, you know, and I text the parents and they were in a meeting. So they didn't even get my text for like an hour. And then finally, mom's like, what, are you okay? What do I need to bring? Can we, can we come now? Where are you? Like, (laughs) wow. So I was like, can you just bring me like a giant bag of Jolly Ranchers? Cause they're not going to let me eat. So I need something to suck on. (laughs) (laughs) And she did. She brought me like the biggest bag of Jolly Ranchers ever. I I still have like half a bag. Here we are, you know, six months later. And I still have half a bag of those. So this is just
0: six months ago. Incredible. So yeah. can you tell me before we wrap it up? First of all, thank you for all of this. And this okay. is so helpful. You know, a couple final questions. One would be what are some other myths about being a surrogate or the surrogacy process that you feel like you're constantly having to correct people, you know, or like set the record straight? Because I know there's a lot of misinformation out there.
1: I would say the whole do the surrogates keep the babies. Okay. Yep. No. No, we don't keep the babies. Um, first of all unless you're doing traditional surrogacy, you have no legal right to that child at all. It's not Mm -hmm. your child, not genetically your child. Um, And second thing is, is I would have to say is like, I get asked, well, how much say do you have over your pregnancy? It's still my body, Mm -hmm. you know, granted we have contracts in place that kind of go over pretty much everything that could possibly happen in your pregnancy. And it's always your intent to follow the contract So there's just, it's, there's just a lot of questions. Like, can you still dye your hair? Yeah. I can follow any of OB recommendations. Like you have to eat something specific. No, I still get to eat what I want unless you agree to eating a specific diet in your contracts. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the other thing about that too, is nobody's with you 24 seven to make sure you're following that contract. So the other thing is, is, you know, I always tell people it's a whole bunch of trust. It's a whole bunch of trust on both parts Uh, because I also get asked, well, what happens if the parents don't want the baby? Yes, that happens uh, very, 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 very rarely, but it could happen. And at that point, like the baby goes up for adoption. I still don't keep the baby, you know? um, So we get a lot of those kind of questions like, you know, can you keep the baby if you wanted to, and the parents don't want it? That's a question for your attorney, (laughs) you know? Okay. Yeah. I have no idea. I've never encountered that. I'm sure that if the baby goes up for adoption and you are a suitable candidate, you could probably adopt the baby. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing about traditional surrogacy that I get asked is, do I have to have sex with my surrogate? Oh my God. Yeah. No, no, you don't. Right. <laughs> you know, you are still followed by a clinic to have a legal surrogacy process um, and it's artificial insemination. So no, you don't have sex with your surrogate um, mm-hmm. or uh does the intended father ever fall in love with a surrogate? I hope not. Mm -hmm. not, You want to grow an organic relationship with the family, but not necessarily dad leaving the mom for you as a surrogate. Um, there's just, like I said, there's a, like you said, there's just so many myths out there that it's, it's not a well understood process. So people kind of make up things in their mind and it's, It's one of those infertility in itself is such a taboo subject, which breaks my heart because so many women and men even go through this. Mm -hmm. And I wish that we could bring far more awareness to it, which is something that we've been working more towards in our community Yeah, where, you know, it happens. It happens so often that all, all these women feel so alone, but there's so many people who have gone through it as well. And, you know, I always want to help support them. Like, you know, like I said, with this second pregnancy, you know, they've lost so many up to this point where I was just like, how can I help you? Mm -hmm. How can I, how can I make this better for you? You know, what is it that you need from me? How, how can I help? And it's just one of those, you have to understand uh, you know, going from the dads to the traditional couple and seeing that, that huge swing of emotion, emotional difference, it was, I am there to support her. You know, it's, I know I'm the surrogate. I know I'm growing the baby. Um, so I'm getting to experience everything she wishes she could, you know? And so if I could help her in any way, how, how, do you want pictures? Do you want videos? What do you need? Mm-hmm. Um, and then even during my birth, <laughs> it's so funny. I have to tell this story. I know we're, we're right at the end here, but it's okay. So I'm probably like seven centimeters dilated. And I already have my epidural at this point. And I'm just like on my side, I'm like, let's get the peanut ball. Like, I know what I'm doing. Give me the peanut ball. We need to open up the hips, like, let's go. <laughs> and, um, so I'm on my side and I'm breathing through contractions because they're, they're getting a little heavier. And I hear my husband in the background talking to the dad um, and showing him pictures from our family vacation that year to St. Louis. And he's like, <laughs> you know, this is the children's museum. This is um, the city museum, like just showing him all these pictures while I'm over here laboring. And at the end I asked him, I was like, what were you doing? And he's like, I could tell that they were about to lose their minds. They were so anxious. They were so worried. I had to give them something to take their mind off. Just watching you labor. Right. And I was like, oh, you're so awesome.
0: That's amazing. What (laughs) a, what a guy.
1: I know. I was like, I know what I'm doing over here and I don't like to be touched in labor. So I'm like, leave me the F alone. Like I can do this by myself. And so, yeah, he was just over there trying to keep them calm. Right. And then when I talked to the dad about it later too, and he's like, yeah, I, he's like, I was, it was like a PTSD moment. Cause the last time they were in that position, like they had a stillborn,
0: mm-hmm. you know? So
1: he's like, obviously mom doesn't remember it. Cause mom passed out during it. And he's like, but I remember all of it.
0: Mm-hmm. And he's
1: like, so having Chris there kind of, you know, giving me something else to focus on was incredibly helpful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. So I guess the last thing I'd love to hear from you is if somebody's listening and they're thinking about becoming a surrogate, what would you say to somebody who's kind of on the fence or is is not quite sure?
1: Research. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say research, but research reputable sources. Don't believe everything on the internet, and talk to professionals. Don't just go into groups of other surrogates because everybody has their own opinion. On their journeys, whether it went well or bad, uh, talk to the professionals, talk to us at agencies, talk to your doctor, talk to the people who actually see this day in and day out and don't just experience their own journeys. Mm -hmm. Because there is a lot of things to consider, you know, as being a surrogate. And the second thing is, is you're amazing being, being open to putting your body, your mind, your family through this is just an incredibly, I want to say selfless, but at the same time you're getting compensated for it. But it's still a huge thing to take that step to give that gift to a family because you're taking almost some of yourself and letting somebody else use that to make their dreams come true.
0: Alright guys, thank you so much for listening. Uh thank you Ashley for sharing your story. Guys, definitely check out Nessa, which is nappyendings.com, N-A-P-P-Y-E-N-D-I-N-G-S.com. So they started in the UK and they call diapers nappies. So that's where that name comes from. But you can find the US arm of it on their website as well. And also, if you like this podcast, please do me a favor and go to Apple and give it a rating and a quick review. It really helps get noticed out there in the world of millions of podcasts. So thanks again for listening and I'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks.